While You Were Folding, Episode 27, Plot Twist! Hi, I'm Catherine Boucher, and you're listening to While You Were Folding. This show is my weekly excuse to talk about my favorite things, marriage, parenting, faith, friendship, culture, what I'm reading and watching, and whatever else strikes my fancy. I've been a wife for 10 years and a mother for eight. I won't pretend to be an expert. I will introduce you to some amazing guests, ask a whole bunch of questions, invite you into the conversation, and encourage you to share what you heard while you were folding. Let's go ahead and start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of this day. Thank you for the gift of my encouraging husband who told me that it was the last week of September and that even if I'm not perfectly ready to relaunch this podcast, that it's well worth the effort and that God can bless it. Please bless this time and bless this message that I'm sharing today with the listeners. And please watch over all of us, myself and anyone who's listening to this podcast episode to know about, to trust that whatever plan you have for our lives, even if it's something unexpected or something that might be difficult, that ultimately you can use everything that happens within our lives whether you necessarily intended for it to happen or not for our good, and that you are a God of love and that we can trust in you and your sovereignty and that you're going to work with us and you're not leaving us orphans and you're going to walk alongside us with whatever crosses our lives. We pray these things through your name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, hello, it's September. I'm back, as I promised. And like I said in my opening prayer, I did not feel 100% ready to come back to the podcast. And I think I was facing a little bit of discouragement with things. And you'll understand why when I bring you up to speed but there is so much to catch you up on. Um, So last time I recorded a podcast that was back in July, the last episode released on July 11th. And at that point, uh, for those of you who maybe are just joining the show, haven't listened to previous episodes, to bring you up to speed, I'll give the abridged version. We had made a decision to move forward with our adoption plans, but we changed gears. We decided to switch to a new adoption agency and we were no longer going to adopt from China, but we decided to um, pursue adoption of a baby from South Korea. And because we changed countries, we had to change agencies. And I promised that I was going to be back with the podcast in September with new episodes, but I was going to take some time off from the show so that I could focus on adoption paperwork and also the start of the new school year for our kids in August. (laughs) We made a ton of progress with our adoption paperwork 
and we did all kinds of things, a psychological evaluation and some different interviews and tons and tons of paperwork. And we were about two documents away from being done with everything so that we could move on to our home study and get our application sent off to South Korea for our adoption. Well, (laughs) less than two weeks after I released that last episode, we found out that we were pregnant. (laughs) God said that we needed a plot twist. Um... So if you're anything like our friends and family, you probably have a lot of questions that instantly popped into your head. And to address all of that, I decided to create an FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions post about our pregnancy and adoption. And I posted that online. But in case you haven't seen it, I'll just do a quick recap. Because a lot of people wanted to know, first of all, were we planning this? Um, And that is definitely a reasonable question, whether or not it's always appropriate for everyone to ask that question is another matter. But because I am an open book, and this is a podcast, I'll go ahead and share our story. So were we planning this in a word? No. Um, Obviously, we were very committed to our adoption. And In the world of international adoption, you cannot be pregnant and also apply to adopt at the same time. And so because of that, uh, we had to notify our adoption agency right away and move forward with closing our file. But um, it's the whole adoption process. It's been a very long road. We started the adoption process when our youngest, our daughter Dorothy, was just shy of a year old because we knew that in all likelihood it would take a couple of years. And a few years ago, when we had started the process, we were with a different adoption agency. We were hoping to adopt from China, and we were nearly done with our application when China changed the rules for potential adoptive parents. And so Then, um, at that point, we were required to wait for Dorothy to turn three years old in order for us to submit our application to China. That was one of the biggest rules that affected our family was the requirement that the youngest child you have in the home needs to be three years old. So that helped us in the waiting time to decide to pursue adoption from South Korea. And... It was when we were just a couple of documents away from being ready to submit our our uh, application to South Korea that we found out that we were pregnant. But we always said that along the way, God was going to close the doors that needed to be closed and open the doors that needed to be open. And he certainly did that because we were so close to having our application sent off to China and God closed that door for our family when he changed the rules that would no longer make it possible for us to apply. And then we were so close with applying for our adoption from South Korea when we found out that we were pregnant. And so a lot of people wanted to ask us, were we sad when we found out about our pregnancy? Um, Or were we surprised? And it's hard to answer that question because when you're a family that 
is doing natural family planning, it's a little bit different because with natural family planning, for those who aren't familiar with that term, that simply means that a couple recognizes that there are different times of the month within a woman's cycle when she is fertile and there are other times of the cycle when she is not fertile. And so you can use that information to decide whether or not the couple is going to come together in the sexual act um, dependent upon whether or not they're ready to try to achieve a pregnancy or try to avoid a pregnancy. And so when my clockwork-like cycle was not coming on schedule, we knew there was a high likelihood that I was pregnant. But were we planning on that pregnancy? No. <laughs> um, we we started, I want to back up and paint the full picture because I think sharing about our experience with natural family planning is a story that needs to be told. It's a story that I think is really unique and I think it is so vital for couples to share about their experience with it, both the highs and the lows, to paint the honest picture of what it looks like for a couple that has been blessed with the gift of fertility, to recognize the times when it's both difficult and the times when it is a blessing. And so for me, I have been blessed with what I would call uber fertility, (laughs) that Achieving a pregnancy has never been a struggle for us. And because of what my body was doing leading up to marriage with what my cycles looked like and what we were learning about, we started learning about natural family planning actually during our engagement. Philip and I started taking the classes as part of the requirement for marriage preparation in the Catholic Church to um, take a class through Pope Paul VI Institute in Omaha to learn about the Creighton model and figure out how my body was working to prepare for marriage because we wanted to have a good sense of what was happening with my fertility when we got married so that we could figure out, okay, maybe we want to postpone pregnancy for a little while. At that point, Philip was in medical school and I was going to be entering into my first year of teaching. So we wanted to try to wait at least a year before we tried to achieve a pregnancy so that we could figure things out as a married couple. So because of that, we wanted to figure out natural family planning. And we were very blessed with me having regular cycles. We were able to figure it out. But we learned very quickly that because of the way my body worked, I am, like I said, blessed with uber fertility. And so because of that, and because of our hope to avoid a pregnancy at that point, and during different times during our marriage, when Maybe we had just had a baby and we wanted to space kids out, or maybe it was a more difficult time and so we wanted a little bit more spacing between kids. We've had to figure out how we, using natural family planning, can avoid a pregnancy. And those of you who are married and use natural family planning understand that there are different times when it is much more difficult to figure out how to avoid a pregnancy. And for a lot of couples, that includes the postpartum time. And in a gist, the Creighton model uses mucus observations, cervical mucus observations, to determine whether or not a woman is within the fertile period during her cycle. 
And there are different ways of figuring out whether a woman is in her fertile time, her fertile window or not. Um, But when you're postpartum and your body's hormones are going up and down and trying to regulate themselves to get back to putting you into regular menstrual cycles, different things like breastfeeding, the amount of time that your baby is sleeping can all affect that. And because of that, your cervical mucus can change drastically day to day. And if you're depending on that cervical mucus to tell you whether or not you're in a time of fertility, that is a big struggle if that's your only sign that you're depending upon. And so because of that, Philip and I decided to make a switch to the Marquette method of natural family planning because the Marquette method uses both cervical mucus observations that a woman has throughout her cycle as well as a monitor reading. And the monitor is simply the Clear Blue Easy Fertility Monitor, and you use a urine test. And the sticks that you use that are inserted into the monitor have used a, a urine test that they look like pregnancy tests, basically. And those tests are searching for two different hormones. They're looking for estrogen and the luteinizing hormone. Very quick, estrogen happens before ovulation. You get a surge in estrogen leading up to ovulation, usually within 24 to 48 hours. Then you have a surge in the luteinizing hormone. The luteinizing hormone combined with estrogen can predict with pretty high accuracy that you are within the 24-hour ovulation window And if you're hoping to achieve a pregnancy, that's the time that your monitor tells you you're at your peak, you are very likely ovulating right now. If you're hoping to achieve a pregnancy, this is when a couple should come together in the sexual act. And then if a couple is in the postpartum time, you're hoping to space kids out or for whatever reason, it's not a good time for you health-wise, etc., a couple can use that information to decide to avoid a pregnancy. And so... We decided to switch to Marquette simply because we wanted to have more information, have uh, a more full picture of what was going on with my fertility, combining the monitor readings as well as what was happening with my mucus. So we had used this since Dorothy was born. So that was back in March of 2016. And we really enjoyed it. We've um, That method just felt like we had gotten the hang of things. Things felt really accurate. So we've been using natural family planning in one form or another for all 10 years of our marriage. We just celebrated 10 years of marriage back in May 2018. Um, and so because of that, I think Philip and I as a couple felt much more comfortable with natural family planning and talking about my fertility than maybe a lot of other couples do. Philip, being a pediatrician, is very comfortable talking about things like cervical mucus. We, because of our uber fertility, have had to learn ways to connect with one another outside of the sexual act. And so having really strong communication skills and emotional intimacy has not made talking about fertility and NFP difficult for us. And he has always been the one who does the charting. And so he is always super on board with things and knows exactly where we are with our fertility any day of the cycle. 
So I share all of those details because I want to paint the picture for you that we felt very comfortable with the method of natural family planning that we were using. We knew my cycle. We knew the quote unquote rules of the Marquette method inside and out. And we followed those rules to avoid a pregnancy because we were committed to our adoption. We were so committed to following those rules that we followed them to a T. And so when I say the rules, that means using the days that are recommended to you when you can, if you're trying to avoid a pregnancy, come together in the sexual act and be confident that you're not in your window of fertility because you're trying to avoid a pregnancy. Now, I have to share that I had recently started using a new medication for my hormonal acne. I talked about my hormonal acne and my woes with all of that on a previous episode. And one of the medications that I was on my dermatologist had mentioned that spironolactone, which is a blood pressure medication, it acts as a diuretic, but it's also androgen blocking, which means that it blocks testosterone, the male hormone, um, and that that can affect your hormones and your cycles. But I had been on that medication for eight weeks. She had cautioned me that because we use natural family planning, that there is a possibility that it could affect my cycle, that I might have some mid-cycle bleeding or some other irregularities. But we were very diligent in trying to continue to mark both my mucus pattern as well as my monitor, and we had no perceptible change to my cycle whatsoever, according to our observations and what the monitor was telling us. And so we felt very confident with things. And yet... If we look at my chart, we found out that we achieved a pregnancy on the fifth day of my cycle after I was on that medication for eight weeks. And yeah, (laughs) so I have to point out for those in the NFP world, I didn't say day five as in the fifth day after I peaked, after I ovulated. I said that we achieved a pregnancy on day five of my cycle. Your cycle begins on the first day of your period. So, yes. (laughs) But I want to share all of that because I I think there's a tendency in the NFP world to say, oh man, so... The Marquette method, that that was a method failure. That's a phrase that you hear thrown around all the time, method failure. But I don't, I refuse to believe that this was a quote unquote method failure. I still love the Marquette method. I think it's a wonderful way for couples to successfully track a woman's fertility. I think it's a great way just for couples to learn about how hormones work, how ovulation works, and so on. But with natural family planning, natural family planning always allows for the possibility that God can be God and that he being the creator can create life when the couple didn't necessarily intend to help co-create life with him. Because ultimately, we're just the co-creators with him. We're not the creator. And so our baby that's on its way is not a quote-unquote method failure. Instead, I believe with all my heart that our baby is proof that God is God and we are not. And 
Even if Philip and I think that we're natural family planning pros and we follow all the rules and the monitor tells us that we're not in a window of fertility, that when you use natural family planning, there's always the possibility that God will be God and he can create life where you didn't think that it was possible. And all of the signs pointed to you are not fertile right now. And so... When people asked us if we were surprised when we found out, well, it was day 32, I think, (laughs) when I finally said, you know, this is so not like me. I need to just figure out what's going on. I don't think I'm pregnant, but I'll take a test. And sure enough, it was positive right away. And when I saw the positive pregnancy test, I thought, well, yeah, (laughs) I just started laughing. Um... But we weren't surprised because we knew that I was late in my cycle. But we were also, I think, just so happy. And we both described afterward feeling this overwhelming peace when we found out that we were pregnant because we've been trying to adopt unsuccessfully for two years now um, since we started the adoption process. And since then, we have literally had to answer hundreds of questions between the psych evaluations and all of the forms and paperwork that you fill out and opening our home up to social workers that dive really deeply into your family and ask very intimate questions. And um, I, I have to laugh because a couple of weeks before we found out we were pregnant. I was already pregnant at the time, but I was filling out some of the paperwork for South Korea. And it asked if we were using birth control during the adoption process. And if not, why not? And I had written something to the effect of, no, as Catholics, we use natural family planning because we do not believe in separating the unitive from the creative act. And we are confident in our ability to avoid a pregnancy, ha, 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 um, because we have been using natural family planning throughout our marriage. Something to that effect is what I wrote. And I even posted it to Facebook and jokes on me because I was already pregnant. Um, (laughs) But I, I still think that a couple can have confidence with natural family planning, with the method, with the quote unquote, rules and everything else. But because you're always open to the possibility of God working with you, that we have to be open to God being God and being able to create life when we didn't necessarily intend it. And to work with that, even if your body is showing you that it's not the time when you're probably going to achieve a pregnancy. But throughout all of the adoption process, looking back on all of the paperwork and everything else, I think the hardest part of the whole thing for us was the paper application, especially when we were applying to adopt from China. Because with China, all of the children that are available for adoption, things have changed pretty drastically since they've had so many changes with the one-child policy and so on. So if I could summarize, the children that are available for adoption in China are under the age of eight. If you're wanting to adopt a quote-unquote typical child that does not have any special needs, that child will be over the age of eight. 
if you are open to adopting a child that has special needs, then that child will have mild to severe special needs and they'll be under the age of eight. So as part of our application, we had to literally check boxes of the medical conditions that we were open to considering for our adopted child. And I think that God really used those conversations that Philip and I had to have and the time that we took in prayer and the time that we've spent waiting for that baby that we were hoping to adopt to prepare our hearts for the child that he always intended for our family. Because like I said, (laughs) we always thought that God was going to open the doors that needed opening and close the doors that needed closing and that it was going to be impossible for us to miss the child that he intended for our family. And so at the time that I'm recording this podcast, I'm 15 weeks pregnant. And so far as we know, based on my first trimester ultrasound and all of the appointments that I've had, all of the signs point to this baby developing typically. And as with all of our previous pregnancies, we've decided to forego any genetic testing. And I will have the anatomy ultrasound when I'm 20 weeks along. And we have no reason to suspect that this baby in any way is atypical, but I feel like God has really used the time that we had with our adoption application and waiting and not being able to adopt to help Philip and I as parents, now that we're having another biological child, to be at peace with the possibility that this child could have special needs and what that would look like for our family. And when we started the whole process, I remember our son, Walt, and our oldest, our daughter, Jane, independent of one another, came to Philip and I and told us that they wanted us to adopt a child like so-and-so. And let's say the kid's name was John. Mom, I think we should adopt a kid like John. I think we should adopt a kid like John. And what they meant by that was... I think our family should adopt a child that has special needs that might need a little bit more attention, more therapy, more um, things than a quote unquote typical child would need. And so I can't help but feel that maybe the whole adoption process was helping our family to prepare for the possibility that that could be in our future. I do not know whether this child has special needs or not, that's always a possibility. Um, but we keep being asked if how we're feeling about all of this. And I think it's just been overwhelming peace. And I think it's the peace of the surrender to finally feeling that, yes, this must be exactly what God wants for our family, for us to have this child that he has sent to us because (laughs) he very clearly was closing the door on adoption. And for us to get pregnant in the way we did on day five and to be trying and praying and to be working so hard to adopt and for it to not work out, God was I think very clearly showing us that that was not what he wanted for our family. So we, for now, we are very focused on this baby and preparing to become a family of seven. This will be our fifth child. 
And I am number five of six kids. So number five is very special to me. Um, But we also always said that when we adopted, it was important for us to have the child that we adopt also have a younger sibling, um, a biological child of ours to be a younger sibling. And so we get asked if we hope to adopt in the future. And my answer to that at this point is we hope so. We still feel called to adopt, but we have no idea what it would look like because unfortunately, as we've learned these past few years, international adoption is a long road to haul. And having four biological children already eliminated us from a lot of countries for international adoption and having five biological children limits us even more. So for example, South Korea's limit was to have four children in the home and no more if you want to adopt. So now that we are having our fifth biological child, we are no longer eligible to adopt from South Korea unless they were to change the rules down the road. So do we hope to adopt? Yes, I think that would be amazing, but I don't know what it would look like and what doors will be open to us. So we'll cross that um, bridge when we get there. Families that hope to adopt cannot even be considered for international adoption until the the youngest child is one. And for some countries, the rules are even more stringent, like China. Your youngest child has to be at least three years old. So stay tuned on the adoption front. But for right now, we're focused on this biological baby. Um, He or she will be arriving sometime in March. This has been a very difficult pregnancy so far. As with all of my previous pregnancies, I have had very severe morning sickness, but I have not been vomiting enough for it to be considered hyperemesis gravidarum. I struggle with the severe nausea, so I want to be sick all day long, but my body doesn't always allow me to get sick. But I wasn't able to leave the house for nearly two months, except for my OB appointments, and I am on all of the medication that is available. The past few weeks, blessedly, I have started to feel much better for a few hours in the mornings. And so I'm hoping to record podcasts in the mornings going forward. I'm able to get a couple things done or maybe run an errand. But then by mid-afternoon, the nausea ramps up and I'm usually on the couch or in bed by dinner time. So I, I thought that I was taking a break from the podcast for adoption, but I ended up having this built-in break because of my morning sickness and it worked out beautifully because it's the last week of September and I'm finally starting to turn a corner. But if this pregnancy is anything like my other pregnancies with the bo- with the boys, the nausea lasted well into the end of the second trimester. And then with the girls, with Dorothy in particular, I was sick right up until my due date. So stay tuned. That might be an indicator of whether or not this baby is a boy or a girl, but we're not going to find out until baby arrives. But I am back to podcasting because of Philip's cheerleading. And I had promised on that my last episode that I'd be back in September. And I told Philip this last week, I said, oh, I don't know. I better not restart the show because I'm still so sick. And I have barely gotten a handle on things around the house and life in general between the kids' school and just laundry 
and laundry <laughs> and everything else that goes with having a family. Um, for example, I started a load of laundry on Friday and it was still sitting in the washer on Monday morning and it was so gross. But that just shows you how not in control of things I am right now because that is not like me. Things are definitely falling through the cracks. And for a girl who likes to live life at inbox zero, I have felt like I'm living at inbox one million. And it just didn't feel like the right time to do a podcast. But Philip insisted. He knows not only how much I love it, but how much of a reach the show was having when I stopped. And um, so it's probably not going to look the exact same as it did before I took my break. I'm probably not going to have as many guests these next couple of weeks, at least not until I'm over the nausea. And that's mostly because when I was scheduling my interviews in the past, they had to be in the evenings when most people were available. But that's always when I'm feeling sick right now. So I'm just going to baby step my way back into it. And it's not going to be perfect. And that is perfectly fine. Hopefully you can all just be patient with me and pray that the nausea ends in the evenings so that we can get back to regular podcasting. But if not, big picture, it's not a big deal. So shout out to Philip. He has been just amazing. He has been doing everything, the cooking, cleaning, taking kids to school, and never complaining. When I was sick, I missed seven weeks in a row of mass, and he took the kids all by himself, and he never complains. And I think a lot of that is because we both, now that this is my sixth pregnancy, we have adjusted expectations on both of our ends. And I think it's a reminder for me, especially, not for him, because this is not a struggle that he has. It's a definite reminder for me when I watch from the couch as things are happening around me, and I'm sitting there with my bucket, that Philip and I have very different ways of approaching things. And that's okay. And that nearly all of the things that I'm watching are not moral issues. And so it doesn't warrant my mentioning of it. He might not be brushing the kid's hair the way I do it or wiping down the table exactly the perfect way or folding the laundry the same way that I do. And who the heck cares? (laughs) Because he's getting these things done while I'm not able to do any of it. And he's a rock star for even trying to help out. And on top of all of his regular responsibilities that he has at work and at home. And he not only that, but he does it with a great attitude and he has not complained once. Um, So shout out to Philip. He's a total rock star. I think sometimes dads are invisible in all of this and I get a lot of sympathy and attention, but I wanted to be sure and spotlight Philip for everything that he's been doing for our family. Haley Stewart, a lot of you I'm sure follow her and her work. She's a blogger over at Carrots for Michaelmas. She also has a podcast, Fountains of Carrots, with Christy Isinger. And she she even has a new book out right now, The Grace of Enough. So if you haven't already gotten yourself a copy, I encourage you to do so. But I bring up Haley Stewart because she also struggles with severe morning sickness during pregnancy. And she wrote this beautiful post on her blog a couple years ago about how she used to struggle with guilt 
during pregnancy because she gets so sick and basically cannot operate as a typical mom during pregnancy. And I'm going to share a link to it in the show notes because I love that post. And I hope that it's encouraging for those of you who also might struggle with severe nausea during pregnancy because I've been thinking about it a lot. And this is really the first time that I've been pregnant when the kids have been old enough to not just feel how they feel about everything, but to actually articulate how my being sick affects them. And I thought that they were going to be frustrated or disappointed with all the times that I had to say no, or I couldn't do something with them. Because it really, it was our last month of summer that I was starting to be sick. But they have been so patient. And I am determined to not give in to the unnecessary mommy guilt. I'm trying to really focus on how this has been a time for our kids to get to view Philip's sacrificial love for our family through all of the acts of service that I already mentioned. And I had a moment, one of our babysitters was asking me um, this summer, we were having a conversation while she was helping the kids with a snack. She just casually asked me, what's it like when you have your plans change like this and you get so sick to try to like get through the day to day. And I said, well, I think it just, it's this time for me to meditate as a mom on Jesus's words when he was at the last supper. And he says, this is my body given up for you. And that's, that's what we do as moms. Right now I'm struggling with the nausea, with all the aches and pains that come with pregnancy. And It's my way to offer my body for my kids. And the kids know that I was sick with each of them, too. And so Jane and Walt individually have told me thank you for being so sick with them. And even sweet little Harry, our five-year-old, he was sick with a stomach bug a couple weeks ago, and he had high fever. And he was asking me if I needed anything when he was in the midst of feeling so crummy. And I just love that they're already learning to to see that the part of being in a family is to offer yourself in service to those around you. And even two-year-old Dorothy, she'll bring me my ginger candies by the handful and she'll say, snack for baby. And that's her way of showing how much she loves me. And so I'm really determined to not give in to the unnecessary mommy guilt No, we didn't do all the things that we thought we were going to do this summer. And no, I have not been super involved with the school stuff this year. In fact, last week was a pretty involved theme week at our school. We had our big fundraiser and each day was a different theme for the kids. And I totally phoned it in. One day was duct tape day and the kids were supposed to create different uh, accessories or clothing items out of duct tape. And (laughs) Philip and I just put a couple of rolls of duct tape on the counter and um, we said, do whatever you want. (laughs) And so the kids just cut off random pieces of duct tape and put them on the clothes that they were going to wear to school the next day. And that's it. And I called it good enough and I did not care. And 
For me, the girl who was on student council in high school and came up with these theme days and cared so much about all of this and the high-achieving perfectionist would not believe that that's been my approach to motherhood, but we're totally at peace with it and it's fine. And we have a very bare bones calendar right now, aside from a tennis lesson that the older three kids do together as a group lesson once a week. That's all that we're doing right now. And I am very at peace with that. And the kids are too. And they are having time to get bored. They are going to bed really early. Everyone's getting the rest that they need. We're eating family dinner together. So big picture, we're doing, we're doing just fine. I will say that the most difficult part for me was missing seven weeks of mass in a row when the nausea was at its worst. And um, I'm definitely going to circle back to this on the podcast. But we found out that we were pregnant on Good Shepherd Sunday. That was July 22nd. And that was the week that a lot of the news broke about the church sex abuse scandal. And thinking back, that was a while ago, July 22nd. And so since then, that was the week I started getting sick. It was just that day that I found out I was pregnant, that I started feeling sick and getting sick. So I've, the gift of this time is I've had a lot of time to literally have to be still and to think about things and pray about things and listen to people who are a lot wiser than I am and a lot holier than I am share about the church abuse scandals. And I have a lot of thoughts about all of that that I'd like to share on a future podcast. Um, And I have a few guests in mind that I'd love to discuss things with, but I will definitely be dedicating time on a future episode to all of that, not just my thoughts, but also practical ways that we can help to bring healing to the church as lay people. But that's definitely been a silver lining for me that I've had time to really think deeply about these things. And I'm really confident that this is going to be a time of healing for the church. But it has been difficult. Um, It was so tough to be away from the Eucharist for that long. Ever since my first communion, I haven't been away from the Eucharist for seven weeks. That's just, it felt like an eternity. And I've also been away from spiritual direction for a few months. And because of that, I've also been away from the sacrament of confession as well. I was supposed to go on a silent retreat a couple of weeks ago, but I had to cancel that too. So I feel like I had to go back to square one with my prayer life, and I'm slowly baby stepping my way back into it. And I'm also working um, very slowly on a study about Edith Stein and I think God knew exactly what he was doing when he pointed me to that study about Edith Stein, and I'm definitely going to be sharing a lot about that on future podcast episodes. I feel like St. Edith Stein just has so much wisdom to offer for for me individually, but for the church in particular right now. And while my prayer time might not feel like the mountaintop transfiguration material type stuff, It has been so helpful and so healing just to remember to pray my morning offering and 
to get to receive the Eucharist after being away because of so long. And I really think that was the first time I finally understood what my friends who converted to Catholicism meant when they told me that they started to crave the Eucharist when they got closer to Easter. I had never spent so much time away from it that I, not that I took it for granted, but that I didn't have that craving of being away from it to realize how much I needed that in my life, at least on a weekly basis. So that's been a great gift to be able to be back to receiving the Eucharist right now. And it's definitely helped to bring a lot of healing into my life. And (laughs) I've definitely noticed a change in my attitude toward the nausea and being sick. Um, But thank you so much to all of you for all of your thoughts and your prayers and your encouragement to me and several of you who have been providing our family with meals since I've been so sick. Um, I just, I feel so blessed and I feel like This time of being so sick, each pregnancy is definitely a time of being humbled and realizing the little that I can do and trying to be attuned to what it is that God is demanding of me that day and what I can let go and what I can be at peace with. But most importantly, to be willing to lean on the body of Christ and to not only ask for help, but to accept help from people who love me and want to be there for me and have offered themselves. So thank you for all of you who have offered your prayers, the concrete ways that you've helped our family. It means the world to me. And it's definitely been a reminder for me that I'm not an island, that I need to continue leaning on all of you. So thank you. All right, that is going to do it for this week. Next week, I am going to have my husband, Catholic dad and pediatrician, Dr. Philip Boucher, come on the show. I've received a lot of questions for him since I've been off the air. A lot of you have questions about pediatrics related stuff. So instead of playing messenger and asking him and then relaying his answers, I thought I would just have him on the show. So if you have any questions about pediatrics or parenting that you would like for him to answer, send me your questions. As always, you can email me at podcast at katherineboucher.com. So send me your questions for Philip. But as always, if you have any questions for me or topic suggestions or a book or TV or a movie recommendation, send them my way. You can, again, email me podcast at katherineboucher.com where you can find me on Facebook or Instagram. Everything I mentioned in today's show, you can find in the show notes at katherineboucher.com, episode 25, sorry, episode 27, <laughs> within the show notes. Please keep sharing the show with your friends. I'm convinced that um, the show has gotten such a loyal following because of all of you telling your friends what you heard on the show. So thank you for sharing the show with everyone. I look forward to hearing from you and getting your questions next week for Philip. Until next time, don't be afraid to begin again and share what you heard while you were folding.